ZA to Zombieland Z. This is Can We Get Emma Stone to Listen to This, the podcast that aims to answer exactly that. I am TV's Kevin Lanigan. No, it's not a sex thing, okay? It's 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 a challenge thing. Did did those those young ladies in Bring It On try to do all that good cheerleading so that they could like hump a trophy? No. They did it for the love of bringing it on, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I'm not. I'm not in my best head right now. I've had better weeks than than the one I've had since last you heard me. Emma Stone update. Of course, Emma Stone has not listened to this podcast. Emma Stone may never listen to this podcast. I, Emma, the phone lines are open. If I can afford to keep them open, yeah. Your boy, uh, audience. Your boy, TV's Kevin Lanigan has had. I've been in better financial situations than the one that I'm in right now. Uh, Believe it or not, doing a podcast with the end goal of getting Emma Stone to hear it, not pay you any amount of money, but hear it, is not the most financially sound gesture, not the most lucrative creative project I've ever had, is the podcast, Can We Get Emma Stone to Listen to This? I'm basically out there on the street begging for money at this point. I'm working my nine to fives. I'm working my Joe jobs, two of them, to afford to live, to afford to keep doing this project. And I don't know how much longer I can do this. God damn it, it's, 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 when am I gonna catch a break vis-a-vis Emma Stone? I mean, I am having... Success in all the wrong places. I have numerous young actors of our time banging down my door, which I can barely afford to have, asking me to do podcasts about them. I can't even do the one that I'm already doing, okay? I've got Anna Kendrick barking up my tree, asking me to do a show about her, and she's being a real Anna Ken dick about it, and she says, why not do a podcast, um, can we get, um, Anna Kendrick to listen to this, um, and maybe it could last five years, <laughs> and then she brings out a fucking red solo cup, and's tapping on it, and singing a fucking song, when I hit this cup, when I hit this cup, you're gonna miss me when I hit this cup, it's it's infuriating. And I'm just one man. I can't just split it off and do all these divergent podcasts. Oh, speaking of divergent, got Shailene Woodley calling me daily and nightly and ever so rightly asking me to do a show about her. Shailene, would we like to stop calling me? Would that work for you? I descend don't want to do a podcast for you, Shailene. I don't have time. I don't have the resources. Podcasting, not only am I not earning money off of podcasting, it's negative money for me to do this show. And so when I get Mary Elizabeth Winstead showing up at my door in the middle of the night in the rain asking me to do a show about her, I tell her to maybe with her valuable time and millions of dollars, maybe she could Mary Elizabeth instead give me a little of that scratch so that I can eat this week. Mary M-E-W, mew, 
151st Pokemon, 151st in our hearts. I have just, I've kinda had enough. I'm at a sort of breaking point right now, and it would be really great if all of these late 20s, early 30s actresses could piss off. But fine, no matter how you feel, we must go through tradition. So now it's time for the letters. letter comes to us from Jason in Missouri. Thanks, Jason. It says, Dear Kevin, love the show. Longtime listener, first time writer. Gotta say, I've been disappointed in your fan interactions lately. Feel like you're not doing enough for your fans. Okay, Jason, we're gonna stop mid-letter here because I've had enough. I get it. I have a couple of fans and they love the show and they're listening every week. And God's honest truth, I appreciate that. But if you want me to give you a fucking trophy because you listen to my show, ain't gonna happen. Okay, I've seen what happens when people lean too heavily into praising their fans. And then the moment they slip up, the fans basically put them in the fucking stockade like it's France up through 1970. Or whenever they decided to make public executions illegal. Like the shamefully late period of time when France decided that the guillotine was no longer a feasible way to get through the 1980s? Yeah, you picked the wrong day, Jason, to ask me a question about the fans. This, this fan entitlement culture where because you like a thing, we're just going to give you whatever you want on like a little silver platter. Because you like a thing doesn't mean you get to dictate what that thing does. Or, or who's gonna kiss who? You don't get to do that in real life. Why should you get to do that in, like, fictional life? In your second life, if you will. You like a thing because you like the people that run it and you like how they run it. Why would you think that you can do a better job? You like the thing because that person and their team of people make a good thing. See, it happened over and over again to the guy, Mark Guggenheim, who very nicely um, runs like 15 television shows and also does an X-Men comic book at the same time. He does Arrow and The Flash and all that shit. And I see the shit he has to deal with of people yelling at him about two characters not being, t yelling at him about two fictional, not real people not being together. And I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to deal. Y'all keep sending me these letters, these messages on Twitter, at TV's Kevin Lanigan. You keep sending me all of these messages about how I'm queerbaiting you. That, like, you know, I, I bring on a guest like like Justin Germeroth, and you think I'm just trying to play to the Tumblr fans by making it seem like there's an incredible amount of sexual tension between us. I get that you want the unrequited romance between me and Vern Tooley to be brought to fruition, but I promise you, you wouldn't like it. It's something that my parents always had to tell me, was that like, yes, 
Kevin, I know that you want to like build a flying suit out of skateboards and jump off the roof, but it ain't gonna work. It's a two-way street. I think the creators are just as much at fault as their entitled spoiled little fans. Every episode of Monday Night Raw that I watch, somebody, Triple H, somebody goes out in the middle of the ring, grabs a microphone and talks about how much the WWE universe is really why they're doing the wrestling thing. And then they're surprised after they've spoiled their little fans rotten, after they've rubbed their asses with maple syrup or whatever, they're surprised when those fans don't get exactly what they want, that they revolt and they get angry. And I say, yes, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, it's because you won't shut up about them like they're some entitled little rich kid. Like the audience of professional wrestling should be the star of The Simple Life, the show with Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie that used to exist. If modern audiences were kids, they would be the worst, most spoiled kids in the entire world and you would want to drown them. If you would like to have your letter read in the show, you can write into canwegetthispod at gmail.com. That was letters during that brief little segment where a song from Il Postino was playing. Got a knock on my door from another one of our venerated young actors. One Brie Larson came to my doorstep, was a ring a ring in my buzzer, asking me to do a show about her. And I say, Brie, I would love to do a show about you, but I don't have room. Listen, young actor, I know it's hard out there. Even, even for those of you that have won Academy Awards, and it seems to be all of you, I know that it's hard out there. I'm a struggling actor myself. I get that any publicity is good publicity. That, that, that you think if I do a special little podcast about you, that, that that's going to help you in your professional life. And, and I know that it can be hard how you, how you feel like, like a cattle being herded through these casting calls. Rooms full of women that look exactly like you. All going out for the same parts. You see the same people over and over again and you wonder, is this how the world sees me? Is this how my industry sees me as this thing? Aren't I my own thing? Aren't I a unique, special human being? All my own? And no, the system doesn't see you that way. And I get how humiliating those auditions are and they bring you back for callback after callback after callback after callback only to not cast you. I get what that's like. I get what it's like to come in and do a monologue with no context and how monologues are a fucking trap. They're a trap that, that every casting process just goes along with, that, that the theater casting process refuses to change even though if you go see a play, there is at most one monologue. I have been a working actor for a decade now, and I think I've done zero true, blue, tried and true monologues. They're just not a common facet, and it seems weird that we would audition someone to be in a thing where 99% of it is interplay with another actor and ask them to come out and do a solo piece, a contextless solo piece of monologue to see if they're good at the acting. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe if you're going out for like a Neil LeBute play, but odds are you're not. 
why don't we audition people with dialogue scenes? Why don't we do duo auditions? Why do we audition someone with a practice they'll only have to do once or more likely zero times? Something that is not the vast majority of their time spent on stage? We don't audition construction workers by having them sit on an I-beam and eat lunch. We audition construction workers by making them build things, which is a huge part of a construction job. Where did the monologue thing come from? Monologues have not been a traditional part of theater since Greek theater, back when Greece was a country. Did Sophocles do this? Did Sophocles audition people with monologues, which to be fair, was most of plays back then, and then just nobody changed it? Is that what happened? Like if all cars still came with a little fire shovel hole to throw coal in and just nobody changed it? I'm sorry, listeners, do you do you hear what I hear? And that that's not that's not like a clever little Christmas song reference. It sounds like a like a mob of people. Hold on, I'm going to I'm going to pick up my microphone and go to the window. Well, it sounded like a mob of people because it was a mob of people. Like a traditional Eastern European torches and pitchforks Frankenstein mob of people. And they're looking for me. And I know this because they have signs that say things like, Kevin, I'm looking for you. And they have little effigies of me. Uh, listeners, as you all know, I broadcast this show live, and it seems as if these people have mobilized very quickly and have stormed my doorstep in much the same way that the great actors of our time have been doing so since the start of this podcast. Gotta say... My fans are industrious, and I appreciate all the fan art that you make for me, including that effigy of me that you're burning right now, sir. This is very good. They must have whipped that up very quickly. Listeners, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. I need to figure something out. Here, listen to our main segment for this week. As our lead-up to the release of Battle of the Sexes continues, and I will figure out if I'm going to die here. Hail and well met. Michael McClure, welcome to the Stone Zone. It's great to be here, Kevin. You are a trusted ally in my great battle against Emma Stone's schedule vis-a-vis her penciling in an appointment to listen to this show. And I'm wondering if you have anything for me today, any any morsel that I can take, any any seed that I can grow into an orchard of her listening to my podcast. You know, Kevin, in terms of freeing up her schedule, that Oscar win for La La Land did not help. No. Um, I made a line graph, which I'm pointing to right now. As you can see at the top here, or I'm sorry, you can't see, but I'm looking at it. And there was a, there's a good bit of a space here. And then ever since then, the X axis being her time, Y axis being her availability, it's gone pretty much straight down. Precipitously, um, almost overnight, it went from like, oh, this is a feasible thing that I could achieve to just a rock bottom. This will be perhaps the most difficult fight of my adult life. Very rightly so. You know, I think it, you, this fight might deserve a score from someone like Hans Zimmer or a superhero theme in terms of the likelihood of you getting her without 
extreme sacrifice and, and uh, learning on your part. You may need to seek a mentor or some kind of spiritual guidance. The imagery of this scene, you know, Captain America's shield is broken. Uh, Tony Stark without his armor, Thor's hammer, I don't know, at the bottom of the ocean or something, and, and, he, and he just can't hold his breath that long to go get it. I mean, we are in some dire end of act two low point stuff here oh yeah uh, big time and the end of act two would actually be the beginning of act one so that's uh it's a difficult situation but i think there's still hope if you're willing to get crafty oh you know i loves me my crafts i got a pile of popsicle sticks and pipe cleaners in the corner i mean i i am ready to get down and dirty with some glue sticks right now man perfect well then i've got an idea for you in september a movie called the battle of the sexes uh, is coming out, uh, in which Emma, Emma Stone, uh, stars opposite Steve Carell uh, in a remake of the uh, great Battle of the Sexes tennis match between uh, Billie Jean King and the man in that situation. Mr. Tennis. I think Mr. Tennis. Frederick Tennis. His first name is inconsequential. Yes. And I believe that if you can get her to, uh, sorry, intercept her before the premiere, which is being held at a uh, local tennis court, uh, in LA, then you might be able to ask her if she'd be willing to come on the podcast. I see. So I need to move my happy ass three time zones to the left and and get myself into the premiere of Battle of the Sexes, which you're telling me is taking place in a tennis court, not a not not man's Chinese theater as as you would expect, or perhaps the Kodak Theater, where the where the Oscars, which again just completely tanked this podcast for me. Um, yes. not in any of those regular venues, is being screened in a tennis court. Oh, that's actually a misconception. Uh, it's not actually being screened in a tennis court. It's being played on a tennis court. So the I difference see. is is the premiere is actually they're going to play out a scene. So she's going to be on the tennis court mm. um, beforehand uh, with opposite Steve Carell. So that might be your opportunity to get to her in terms of uh, get her attention, maybe. I see. I, so I guess the question is, how is your tennis uh, these days? How's your how's, backhand? How's your How's forehand? my tennis game? Mm, rusty. Um, okay. You know, um, okay. So this is a real theater in the round kind of situation. I mean, I, I was a tennis prodigy when I was young, but uh, much like, you know, Bobby Fischer, um, I sort of fell off the deep end. I went crazy. I moved to Iceland. I, I became hugely anti-Semitic. Um, and I'm only just now coming back around that bend. This podcast was sort of going to be my, my triumphant return. Uh, much like, you know, Matt LeBlanc, he was on Friends, to, had, a, had a little bit of a rough go for a little while, came back with um, that show Episodes, which has been running for many, many episodes. This is my Episodes, and I was in pre-pro for this show. I was so excited. The Oscars happened. I became ever more disheartened, but I pressed on with the show anyway. So I will really have to tap into my old training to to pull off this event. I think you should. Uh, and can I ask, was the Iceland, uh, was your tutelage in Iceland uh, similar to Luke in the swamp with Yoda? That was that was precisely it. I went to Iceland and I found the shortest man I could possibly find. Mm. Um, which, you know, if you check the original concept art for Empire Strikes Back, uh, there was a version of Empire Strikes Back where Yoda was indeed a garden gnome um until sort of a late period decision to turn him into like kermit the frog's uncle and um mm. yeah so i found you know uh you're familiar with the travelocity gnome oh that guy yes yes well at the time he was indeed in uh reykjavik iceland and i found him i tracked him down and i said you are short and magical teach me 
the ways of tennis. And the rest is history. The rest is history. I carried it around on my back. He had me, you know, lifting tennis balls of all shapes and sizes. It, it, it really, like... Our our partnership was legendary. Got you. And and did your improvement in tennis come in the form of a montage, or was it actually held over four to five months of real hard work? Um, well, that's sort of hard to determine based upon the edit of the film of my life, where my training sequence was intercut with a sequence of my two friends, a pilot and a princess, just sort of flying across the galaxy, and it looks like their adventure takes about an afternoon and my adventure looks like it takes place over the course of a year of training. And then I, of course, went to um, a city in the clouds, the Mile High City, Denver, Colorado, to save them from my father, an evil man. Um, but again, the edit is very confusing as to just how long my training actually took. Got you. Okay, that settles it. Okay, because you're going to really need the training if you're going to take on uh, Emma Stone on the court in order to win uh, the right to have her on your podcast. So that's why I was wondering. I just want to make sure you have your back covered, you know, and your back hand. Aha. Oh, I like that. I also like um, that you believe me capable of getting on the court because, of course, I have to imagine the scene they'll be enacting in this theater in the round or rather theater in the rectangle is going to be a scene between Billie Jean King and Mr. Tennis. So am I going to have to like kill Steve Carell and take his place? Oh, no, no, no. I, th I think just some chloroform will be fine. There's really oh, okay. no need to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I find that. Yeah, chloroform knocks him out for three, four hours and then match. Most tennis matches are what? two and a half, three hours. So as long as you dispatch with uh, Emma Stone's tennis game quickly, and of course you can do that by scouting her, uh, just watching the trailer a bunch of times and figuring out her weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I've actually taken the liberty of doing that for you. And her second serve is, I'd say middling at best. And, okay. uh, and if you just hit it to her backhand over and over and over, uh, she will eventually uh, stretch and hit a lob shot to you, which you can easily volley back. Mm, okay, so you've been watching the game tape for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I figured... With you in Iceland, there's not great Wi-Fi over there, right? Oh, no, no, no. The The whole country um, exists sort of without internet. Yeah, that's, a, that's kind of the charm of Iceland. It's mostly, the, it's gnomes instead of internet. They have that kind of gnomey vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, which is why I infinitely prefer Iceland to anywhere on Earth. Um, you know, if they want to, for instance, listen to the music of, of Monsters and Men, their predominant English-speaking Icelandic folk band, they don't have iTunes. They don't have YouTube to pull up the songs. So uh, every night of Monsters and Men performs in the same bar. So if you want to hear an of Monsters and Men song, you, you have to go to there. Um, and listen to oh, it. Wow. It's a tradition the whole country can engage in, and the population of Iceland can indeed fit in a single bar. Well, that's great, reliable money for uh, of Monsters and Men. And that's also must be nice that there's no cell phones flashing during the concert, because I find that incredibly obnoxious. Exactly. Um, what are you doing on Instagram? Of Monsters and Men is three feet from you. They're sweating on you. I mean, especially with the heavy gnome population, that it's uh, it seems like it could be a problem with a bunch of flashing lights, fire hazard for one. Um, you know, if, if that place goes up, I mean, it could be a huge problem getting the emergency exits with a bunch of gnomes i mean quite literally rolling over each other because bipedal movement is not as easy when you're only two two and a half feet tall right and there are all those gnomes that are like stacking on top of each other to like wear trench coats and sneak into r-rated movies and it's like dude you're 300 years old you could just get in but i understand that being a problem though you know i mean it's it seems like a lot of places they do discriminate against people that are under two two and a half feet tall even people that are two and a half feet tall discriminate against people that are two and a half feet tall so it's a kind of like a hobbit situation 
really, I guess in a, it's fine, you know, it's lifestyle, but it just doesn't help in a fire situation. And uh, Monsters Men is known to spit that hot fire. Mm, yeah, I would have to agree, particularly on their second album, which I think was a step up from their first. Now, Mike, I have a, I have a sort of a quandary about this premiere break-in that we're staging. Now, I, I am not yet a Hollywood bigwig. I'm sort of a medium to small-sized wig, and I've only been to a few big movie premieres um and certainly none like this one but the but the movie premiere i am most familiar with is the one that takes place in the film inglorious bastards now do you think there is even a, a modicum of chance that this movie premiere is going to erupt in explosions is the nazi high command going to attend this premiere like what 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 what, paint me the scene it's not a massive chance i'd say somewhere between 35 and 40 percent that they attend so obviously they'd be coming up from argentina nazis were known to be huge billy keen gene keen fans Um, so i don't see a fire coming and i also love that movie but i i think the only chance of a fire is if it comes from your serve. Have you heard any rumblings of Nazis attending the premiere, or is this just conjecture? Well, as you know, the number one sport in Brazil is tennis, and and it, there is no one more interested in the whole populace of Brazil than the boys from Brazil. I just, I can't be sure that if I roll up on this premiere fully decked out in Steve Carell's clothes, because I've, of course, knocked him out and stolen his clothes, like classic Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets maneuver, and I've stolen his clothes, and I'm out there on the tennis court, Emma Stone staring at me from across our premier reenactment tennis match and I you know I've studied all the moves I know all the parts I I I have understudied enough to be able to walk all this through but I just have to be concerned if like the whole top row of the arena is going to be lined by clones of Hitler yeah that can be incredibly um disarming and Kevin, I think, goes back to our initial thing. She won the Oscar. This is not going to be easy. It's a really noble pursuit. Bear down, ignore Hitler's, and if they start jeering, and they Hitler's has known to do that sometimes, um, you yeah. need to just focus on your game. And uh, I think the really the huge part that's going to be kind of um, difficult is the idea during the reenactment of the movie is that Billie Jean King actually wins the Battle of the Sexes, uh, so you're going to have to somehow beat her while staying in character. Um, which will confuse her and the uh, gathered dignitaries and Hitlers. Inglorious Bastards has prepared me for movie premieres and for history to go in a different direction, right? Because, like, in Inglorious Bastards, they kill Hitler. Like, in the face, they kill Hitler. That's right. And that didn't happen in history. Um, so, like, if that can happen in a movie, then then why not me as um, Mr. Tennis, um, of course, playing the role of Steve Carell playing Mr. Tennis, so I've, like, taped body hair to myself to look more like Steve Carell, more convincingly, um, and then I'm, of course, playing Mr. Tennis, and I, I can beat Billie Jean King, and why not? I could also kill all the Hitlers. That's People right. expect that at movie premieres now. If I go to a movie premiere, when I was at the premiere for um, Save the Last Dance, and, like, they killed Hitler. I was like, good, that's what I was expecting at this movie premiere. You can physically beat Emma Stone at this uh, tennis match. The key is to embody the Steve Carell character, uh, Mr. Tennis, tend to his friends. And you need to really study the trailer film, um, almost like you were an NFL coach, and really, really figure out his mannerisms, 
and also whether he likes um, or dislikes um, all the Hitlers up in the upper deck. You know, you have to really think about whether he's into them or not. And again, this is just a bunch of research and it's probably spend a lot of time in the library, but it's your burden. It's your cross to bear. You gotta, you gotta hit the books to hit the ball. You gotta know your fundamentals before you get out on the tennis court. That is what the Travelocity Gnome taught me. Now, how does this get me to getting Emma Stone to listen to this? Because after I beat her at the premiere, I don't think she's going to want to talk to me. After a tennis match, after every tennis match, whether the participants like each other or dislike each other, they always meet in the middle of the net to shake hands. At this time, that is when you propose to her and say, hey, like, you know, I've got this awesome podcast. I'm not actually Steve Carell as uh, Mr. Tennis. I'm TV's Kevin Lanigan. And if you have time in the next few months in between shooting stuff, perhaps you might come by the podcast. Say, hey, I'm TV's Kevin Lanigan playing Mr. Steve Carell, playing Mr. Tennis. And that's when I like sort of like a hidden blade. I slip a flash drive out from my sleeve, but it's like a short sleeve, like a real short tennis sleeve. So it's like way up there and I slip it out and I hand it to her if she then like turns me down if she then takes the flash drive and hits it like a tennis ball into the crowd um it's great that someone else can can get a copy of the podcast but then I need to have like a backup plan like of course the tennis net in the middle of the court is set to rise up after the match and project the film uh, which that's a horrible surface to try and project a movie on it's going to slip through the cracks it's going to be terrible but it's a perfect platform to project an audio version of a podcast onto oh wow yeah that so with with all those raptured eyes in attention i i can project the podcast onto the raised net i like that so obviously you project the audio component and then maybe throw some video components something that people like maybe like a silent red hot chili peppers music video or mm. um something that that's just like good eye candy you know or maybe like that the fun psychedelic uh like blobs that float around uh, on the old itunes yeah. um some yeah people love that you know and i think um you can't underestimate keep people's attention because i feel like it might be they might be concerned about where the audio is coming from obviously it's projected onto the tennis net, but mm -hmm. some people up in the nosebleeds, like we're right around where the Hitlers are sitting, they might not see that. But if they see like a projected Anthony Kiedis mouthing the words to under the bridge and they hear my podcast um then then presumably they'll have a they'll have a frame of reference exactly and they'll they'll know okay well clearly tv's kevin lanigan knows anthony kiedis they're quite close so maybe that'll yeah. give you a little bit of you know cachet clout um to strike up a conversation with emma like oh tony kiedis and i will go way back uh how do you know him you know put it on her and then she'll be right. like oh my god i have to pretend to know him now because tv's kevin lanigan clearly does so it's kind of like on her exactly. you know yeah i'm i'm fleas stand-in exactly I'm, they they call me louse exactly um and i, I think she might know that because she is it, it that's something that most people don't know about emma stone she's a real pepperhead oh that's right uh, yeah she has right. all the albums stadium arcadium which is indeed the name of the stadium that we will be performing in that night coincidence i think not because you know her real name is emily jean stone and she had to change it because there was already an emily stone uh registered with the actors guild um and she ended up with emma stone but her she 
was originally planning on calling herself Danny California. Actually, I did know that because I think I read it in her biography, Scar Tissue. There's that there's that great vine of her because uh, she always lives in these hot tropical climates uh, of her up in um, Sundance, um, the Sundance Film Festival. Um, and she never gets to see uh, the precipitation known as snow. But one time it started snowing and there's this great vine of her pointing out the window and going, snow. Heyo. And that's how it all happened. That was that was her big break. And isn't that funny? Because there is no snow in Iceland where you garnered the skills that you'll use to defeat her on the court. And then maybe after this this battle, we can make a sequel to the Steve Carell animated film Over the Hedge with an Emma Stone animated vehicle called Under the Bridge. Listeners, I am being dragged away by an angry crowd of people. They've pulled me from my ancestral home, and I am being dragged away to some location that I do not know and that I cannot testify to. But as William Wallace once said, you can take my life, but you can never take my podcast recording equipment. You can follow the show on Twitter at Can We Get This Pod, and you can email to that same address if you would like your letter read live on the show. Can We Get This Pod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TV's Kevin Lanigan. You can check out my YouTube channel. Uh, it's just my name. Uh, I do uh, all sorts of videos over there, and I do weekly video game streams. And- my guest this week was Michael McClure. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Sitting Down, and you can find the archive of his podcast, Mike Sitting Down, on iTunes. I fear for my life. Perhaps all of that will be put to an end, but please, if you have any love in your heart for me, go on to iTunes. Review this show. Review this show. Please. Rate and review, it's the only way that Emma Stone is ever going to find the show. It's the only way anyone is ever going to find me. Please, the fans, they're so angry. Perhaps I'll be back next week, or perhaps I will not be. But until then, I will end this show the way I end every show. God, I love my fans. This has been a Talk Back Podcast.